Welcome to Hazel Community Church Online. Let's join Pastor as the Holy Spirit speaks to our hearts and unpacks the Word of God for us. After the message, we'll tell you how to contact us. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Lord, you are sovereign over all of creation. You alone are holy and good and perfect, all-knowing, ever-present, all-powerful. In your love, you put on flesh and died for our sin. You satisfied the wrath of God for those who come to you. In your power, you were raised from the grave By your grace, you have called the elect, and at your name, Jesus, we bow our knees to you, our King. Lord, we ask for your forgiveness for our sin. Each one of us, we know where we have fallen short in our lives, and we confess that to you now. But Lord, we also have sin in our lives that We're blind to. We ask that by your spirit you would reveal this sin to us and that you would forgive us. Lord, that you would make us clean and that you would transform us into your likeness just as you have promised to do in Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for your forgiveness by the blood of Jesus our Savior. It's in your grace It's because of your mercy that we can boldly approach your throne and receive help and grace in our time of need. And we, Lord, ask ask now for your gracious hand on the Harvey family as they, they mourn the loss of Paul's mother. Lord, we ask that you would bring comfort to them, that you would comfort them by your spirit, that you would comfort them by your church, provide for their needs, Lord. Lord, we lift before you all those who are sick. We ask that you would bring healing to the many with COVID and flu and cancer and pains and other ailments, Lord, that you are the great physician. And we ask by your mercy you would bring healing. We trust every decision that comes from you, Lord. We ask that you would grant our hospitals safety and, and staffing and wisdom so that they can treat those under their care. We ask for the chaplains and that they could minister your, your glory and your wisdom and your grace to those around them. Lord, we pray for our schools and those who are on the school board. We ask that you would grant wisdom to the teachers and the board and that you would protect our children against many false narratives and, and things going on, Lord. I pray that you would raise up Christian uh, students to faithfully proclaim the gospel. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would move us into our communities, that you would grant us boldness to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Help us to love you above all things and to love our neighbors as ourselves. We We also ask, Lord, that you would help us to love our enemies and to pray for them. As we turn to your word now, Lord, open our ears 
in our hearts so that we can receive your word like good soil and produce abundant fruit because of your working in us. Lord, I ask that you would grant me boldness to clearly proclaim your word truthfully and totally reliant on your spirit. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, kiddos, you are released. As they are heading out, the rest of you, if you're not already there, join me in Acts. Also known as Luke Part 2. If you don't have a Bible, there's one around you, like I say every week. I want you in the Word with me. I want you reading the Word. I want you seeing the Word. If you don't have a Bible at home, take that one uh, that looks like this. Take it with you. I really don't mind if you take it. Uh, I want you in the Word. Don't use it as as a placemat, though, or a cup. What is that thing called? Coaster. Paperweight. Yeah, don't use it as that either. Read it. Oh, well, good morning, church. It's so good to be here. It's good to be back in Acts or continuing on in in the book of Acts this morning. And uh, as we've seen up to this point, we've seen the kingdom of God growing, just exponentially growing. It's it's amazing to watch how he's adding just thousands and thousands uh, to the church uh, from all over the known world. But in the midst of all of this, we also see this increase in persecution and suffering. So we've seen in verse, uh, in, in Acts 4 that there was warning of the apostles. They start warning them, you need to stop talking in Jesus' name. You need to stop sharing this message. And then that goes to flogging in Acts chapter 5. Then that goes to these false witnesses we see rise up in Stephen's life in Acts chapter 6. And then we see the death of Stephen in Acts chapter 7. So this intensification of, of persecution and suffering. But as we look forward in Acts, so we see the suffering, we see the growth, we see the suffering, but we look forward, we see that God uses this persecution, he uses this suffering to spread the church beyond Jerusalem. He actually scatters the church to Judea and Samaria, and then beyond that, as we continue to read, all the way to North Bend. It's not in Acts, but you get the point. We're Acts 29. We often, I think, as the church, we see persecution and we see suffering in this negative light. None of us want to go through it. Um, We're longing and groaning for heaven. We want the Lord to come back and and we want uh, sin to be dealt with. But what if we stopped seeing it as a negative thing and started seeing it as the apostles saw it? What if instead of raging against the machine, we see persecution and suffering as opportunities to grow ourselves in Christ's likeness and for Jesus to build his kingdom? You see, all of our suffering is working together to make us look like Jesus Christ. 
Persecution cannot quench the gospel. Government, government mandates cannot stop the kingdom of God from growing. Laws and restrictions cannot thwart God's plan. Just as Paul writes in 2 Timothy, the word of God is not bound. In fact, persecution and suffering for the gospel is a sign we're doing exactly what we were told to do. So today, we get to look at how we're called as Christians to suffer like Jesus, to suffer to look like Jesus, to be like Jesus, and how we're called in our suffering to suffer like Jesus. So first, suffering to be like Jesus. I'm going to take us back to Acts 6, verse 3. Because we're going to ask, what does it look like to suffer to be like Jesus? First, we, we know to suffer to be uh, like Jesus is to suffer to, to have good repute, to be of good character. We saw this in the previous passage of the seven chosen uh, to do the mercy ministry. So look at verse 3. The apostles say, therefore, brothers, pick out from among yourselves seven men of good repute. We know that Stephen, he was recognized as one who was for this mercy ministry because he was of good repute. What does that mean? We don't use that word very often. I don't think I've ever actually used it outside the biblical narrative. Good repute means to be well spoken of, to be approved. The same word is used in Acts, or excuse me, Luke 4.22 And all spoke well of him and marveled at his gracious words. This is of Jesus. He's well spoken of, of good repute. They marveled at the words that were coming out of his mouth. And they said, is this not Joseph's son? It's used later in Acts 10 of Cornelius, who was a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who was well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation. It's used of Timothy In Acts 16, he was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Even Stephen's persecutors, they know he's of good repute. They know he has good character. So they have to drum up this false narrative and these false accusations so that they can pin him on something. But they don't have anything to pin him on because his character is good. He's well spoken of. This should be indicative of our lives too. We see in 1 Peter 4, 14 and 15, if you are insulted for the name of Christ, you're blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Notice, he says, if you're insulted for the name of Christ, but he goes on and and says, but let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. He says, don't suffer because you are a jerk. Don't suffer because you are a sinner. Suffer for the name of Jesus Christ. Now, this doesn't mean that we're going to be accepted or praised by everyone. That's just false. People will not like you. Some will twist the truth about you. Just saying that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one can come to the Father except through him, that everyone are sinners in need of a Savior, that's offensive and off-putting. So we won't be liked. We've seen that through Acts. But our personal character, our personal character, how we interact with people, we should be well spoken of. I had a professor, he would always say, 
You do not need to be the stumbling block for people. That's Jesus' job. Let him be the stumbling block. You bring them to Jesus and they stumble over him. They stumble over his message, over his gospel, not your character. So we should be well thought of by outsiders because our heart should be longing for them to know Jesus Christ, to see Jesus Christ, to experience Jesus Christ. Speaking to the elders, uh, Paul says, Who, how, or moreover, excuse me, he, the elder candidate, must be well thought of by outsiders so that he, na- he may not fall into disgrace, into the snare of the devil. Now, there's a level of suffering, though, that comes with being well thought of. There are times when we have to keep our mouths shut, and that's hard to do at times, right? It is for me. It means we trust that the Lord will have vengeance, and I won't. We suffer from those who attack us and and talk down to us and slander us so that we can present to them the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we can't do this by sheer willpower. You're not able, I mean, you might be able to do this. You might have a really good character. I'll stumble you up on another point. We suffer by allowing the Spirit of God to kill this sinful self in us that desires to always be right. To lead us to love and grace and mercy. The suffering of, to be of good character is working to make us look like Jesus Christ. But don't get me wrong, it doesn't mean that we change the gospel to be liked. It is not what he is saying here. That's not what it means to be of good repute. It doesn't mean soften the message or, or, or reduce the blow by not telling people they're a sinner. They need to know. We need to present the bad news so we can present the good news. Our message must remain faithful, but our lives need to reflect Jesus Christ. We must also suffer to be filled with faith. Look at verse 5. Stephen was a man full of faith. For many in the church, doubt plagues you more than faith empowers you. Because you're living by sight and not by faith. Eve doubted the word of God because the fruit was pleasing to the eye. And she doubted his word. Peter doubted because he looked at the crazy waves crashing around him and he took his eyes off of Jesus and sank. Judas doubted Jesus because he set his eyes on 30 pieces of silver. And many today doubt because of the circumstances in our lives, the reports on the news, the the opposition to the Christian message, the, the times around us, the times it seems like God is being quiet, he's not talking back to me. And this doubt starves your faith. But to be one who is full of faith, we must suffer 
We must deny ourselves and believe and follow Jesus. Even if everything around us looks like it's going the opposite direction, we must stand firm in faith. We must check our emotions in the midst of suffering, in the midst of doubt, in the midst of anger and pain and sorrow. We need to be like the psalmist in Psalm 43. Why are you cast down, O soul? Why are you within turmoil within me? Hope in God. For I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. He's suffering at this point and he's reminding himself trust in God to be filled with faith we must suffer the death of living by sight and learn to walk by faith John Piper he once said my feelings are not God God is God My feelings do not define truth. God's word defines truth. My feelings are echoes and responses to what my mind perceives. And sometimes, many times, my feelings are out of sync with the truth. When that happens, and it happens every day in some measure, I try not to bend the truth to justify my imperfect feelings, but rather I plead with God, purify my perceptions of your truth, transform my feelings so that they're in sync with the truth. We have to suffer to be filled with faith, to feed our faith. We have to plead in prayer. We have to hunger and thirst for righteousness. We have to desire and labor to know the word of God. Is your faith flailing? It's probably because you're not spending enough time building your affections for the person of your faith. That's Jesus Christ. If your faith is waning, hit your knees and cry out like the Father in Mark 9, 24. I believe, but help my unbelief. We have to suffer for a deeper faith because it's making us look like Jesus Christ. We must also suffer to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Look again at verse five. Everybody's thinking he hasn't even got to the passage yet. A man, Stephen, was a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, full of the Holy Spirit. Granted, all believers are indwelled by the Holy Spirit. We see this in 1 Corinthians. Do you not know that you're God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you as a believer? That's who you are again. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you whom you have from God? You are not your own. So we are indwelled by the Holy Spirit. But many believers are found grieving the Holy Spirit more than being filled by the Holy Spirit. Ask yourself, do I have no power in my life to live the godly life? Do I find myself stuck in the same sin over and over? Am I consumed constantly by anger and hate and lust? Then look at your life. Do you need to return to the Lord? Do you feel the leading of the Lord, but you say, I'm going to go about my business for 
a few more weeks, a few more days, a few more years? If so, the writer in Hebrews calls us and says, Therefore, if the Holy Spirit says today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the time of the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness. We can plead the blood of Christ. Jesus, you, you saved me from my sin, but I've been turning my back on you. I've, I've put a barrier between you and, and myself because of my sin. Would you forgive me? Help me to repent and follow hard after you. To be full of the Spirit means we must participate in being filled by the Spirit. Paul tells the Ephesians, don't get drunk with wine, that's debauchery, but be filled by the Holy Spirit. He says, don't be controlled by wine, don't let your body be controlled by wine, but fill yourself with the Holy Spirit so that He moves you. And in our sinful flesh at times that feels like suffering. It feels like suffering because all of the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh and they're opposed to each other. They're there, they keep us from doing what we want to do. They're pulling at each other. And those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. That's a, a, a level of suffering. We must crucify what our flesh desires to do so that we can be moved along by the spirit. We have to suffer to kill sin by the power of the Holy Spirit. And as our sinful self decreases, Christ in us increases. Not that we get more of Christ, but we see we're, we're removing the sin that puts that barrier between us. And we, are follow, and we, we follow him and the suffering makes us look like him. But I want you to hear me clearly. This is not to gain God's favor. You are, you are completely his in Jesus Christ. He has satisfied his wrath by pouring it out on Jesus Christ on the cross. He is not, he's, you're not falling out of his favor. You're not falling away from him in the sense that you're not saved any longer. But we do this because we know by faith Jesus is our Savior. That he paid for our sin on the cross. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. We do this because we desire to look like Jesus Christ. Because we have, in our confession of him as Savior, believe that he is life and sin is death. So we desire to follow him. We desire to be filled by the Holy Spirit. We desire to deny ourselves to, for his spirit to fill us by reading the word, by meditating on his truth, by praying for him to continually be filling us, by fasting, by participating in the Lord's Supper, by gathering in the fellowship with the saints so that we can remind each other. All which at times feels like suffering. If you've ever fasted, it feels like suffering. But as holy vessels, we're being filled by the Holy Spirit. We must also suffer to be full of grace. Look at verse eight. See, I told you we'd get there. Stephen, full of grace. 
For Stephen, this doesn't mean he was light on his toes. It doesn't mean he was full of unmerited favor. Luke is defining his character as gracious, as, as charming, as winsome, as a caring person. That's who Stephen was. That's why he was so well suited for um, the mercy ministry to go and minister to the widows. But it doesn't mean he didn't speak the truth. Just look at Acts 7, verse 51. He says, we'll read this next week, but he doesn't, just because he's gracious doesn't mean I'm not going to speak the truth. He says, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. So he wasn't a coward. He didn't soft-pedal the gospel, but he was gracious his character was gracious. It's reminiscent of Jesus, who's, who is loving and kind and winsome, but he spoke the truth. We too are called to reflect the character of Jesus. All of our speech, Paul says, should be gracious, seasoned with salt. Let your speech always be gracious and seasoned with salt so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Truthfully, yes, but truth with grace. Our demeanor should be caring and loving, but apart from Jesus' blood-bought promises, we cannot truly be filled with grace. For the outflowing of grace in our character has to be from the inflowing of God's grace in our hearts. He is filling us with grace and we are, it's flowing out of us. Do you want to be full of grace? Do you want to be a, a gracious person? Then place yourself under the waterfall of God's grace in Jesus Christ. Just, just meditate on what he has done for you. Who you were as a sinner and how he, while you were still a sinner, died for you on a cross, pouring out his grace on you. So being filled with grace is once again a sort of Suffering. A gracious person spends time reflecting on their lack of grace, graciousness. And in that reflecting on how I was not gracious with my wife or my kids or my church family or the person driving slow in front of me, as I reflect on how I wasn't gracious, then I should be reflecting on but how gracious God was to me in Jesus Christ. And then I'm broken over that sin, crying out to Jesus, forgive me and make me look like you. I want to look like you. The gracious person suffers patiently with the lost displaying very dimly at times God's grace on the cross. How we show the lost, how we interact with the lost is the first picture they get of Jesus Christ on the cross. We must also suffer to be full of power. Verse eight, and Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great Wonders and signs among 
the people. This is promised by Jesus in Acts 1.8, but, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you'll be my witness in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and all the way to the ends of the earth. He promised that this would happen. We've seen it in the apostles. We see it in Stephen here. We see it reflected in, in verse 8. We see it reflected. Excuse me, I'm not supposed to click. I'm supposed to look down. Um, that's what my notes say. <clears throat> Verse 10, uh, they couldn't withstand the wisdom of the spirit with which he was speaking. The, the power was seen in his words. We see it in his preaching in chapter 7. He preaches powerfully, but, but it's not because he was awesome. It's because the spirit is working through him. This is the power of God's Holy Spirit that he promised to work in the believers. And we see it playing out just as Peter boasts of the name of Jesus as he heals this lame man in the previous chapter. He doesn't say it's not, he says it's not me, it's, it's Jesus. It's his power. This is the power of God saving the lost. I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and to the Greek. It's the power to save to the ends of the earth. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but those who are being saved, it's the power of God. Paul even writes in 2 Corinthians 4, 7, but we have this treasure in jars of clay. Why? Why do, does he put his, his, his message in weak hands to show the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us? Believer, you have that same power. You have that same spirit, the same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the grave. But church, so many of us are shriveled up in weakness. We don't know the power of the Holy Spirit. We shrink back in fear because we look ourselves in the mirror and we say, I cannot do that. I can never share the gospel. I can't pray out loud. I could never share this passage with that person or this person. I could never love that person. And the reason is because we're looking in the mirror and we're not looking to the Messiah who gives us the power by his spirit. Of course we don't have the strength. He alone has the, the strength and the power to do this. So suffer, church, to humble yourself and realize that the power never came from you. It always came from the spirit. And in that power that's promised to you in the word of God, go and step out in faith. In that power, share the gospel. In that power, proclaim God's promises in prayer. But none of this could have been said of Stephen unless he was who he was in the presence of God. Look at verse 15. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. I've always read that as, oh, how sweet. He must have been cute like a baby. He was so innocent. That's not what a face of an angel ever looks like in the Bible. Never. It is never innocent. 
It is never, oh, yay, everybody trembles in fear and, and cowers when they see angels. This is so much more significant than, oh, he was so sweet looking. He, Paul, or not Paul, Luke is saying, he's making this connection. It's very significant for us to get. He's making a connection to Exodus 34. He's saying Stephen's face was like the face of Moses when he came down from Sinai. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, he came down from the mountain and Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. And Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses and behold, the skin of his face shone and they were afraid to come near to him. And this is so significant because Luke is saying, um, this is who... This is who Stephen is looking like. He's bringing the word of God to the people of God and they don't want to be around him. They don't want to hear him just like they didn't want to hear Moses just like we read in verse 71. They're stiff-necked, uncircumcised in heart and ears and they resist the Holy Spirit. They're doing it right now and they saw who he was and they didn't want to be around him. But church, can this be said of us can, this, can I say that I've been with Yahweh, that I've sat in his presence? And I don't mean five minutes in the morning as I'm running out the door and I read a quick devotional. I mean, have I sat in his presence, this character-shaping, Christ-transforming, Holy Spirit, power-receiving time with the Lord where he is changing me and people, when I walk out, say, something's different about this guy. Have you spent time on your knees begging God to take away the sin that plagues you and replace it with the spirit that shapes you? Have you suffered by denying yourself so that you can look more like Jesus? Suffered to get up early or stay up late, turn off the TV, say no to a sport, say yes to a small group? Whatever it is, have you, have you suffered to be in the presence of God? We desperately need to spend time in the presence of God. And it's only when we've suffered to look like Jesus, to be like Jesus, to be transformed, that we're ready to suffer like Jesus suffered. We must be ready to suffer disputes. Look at verse 9. Then some of those among the synagogue of the freedmen, so this, just Two seconds on the freedmen, uh, they were the ones delivered from slavery, um, and it's very debated what slavery they were delivered from, but they were delivered from slavery, now they're freedmen, that's why it's called the synagogue of freedmen, started a synagogue, um, there you go. Some of those belonging to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and to the Cyrenians and the Alexandrians and those of Cilicia, Cilicia and Asia rose up and disputed with Stephen. So several groups, they rise up, they dispute with Stephen. We see that the message of the apostles, um, and they were loved by all the crowds, now is starting to challenge people, and they're starting to not like that. So they start to argue about that. And it's very similar to Jesus' ministry. The people rise up, they dispute with Jesus 
The Pharisees came and began to argue with him. The Sadducees argued with him. The Herodians argued with him. The lawyers, the scribes, a bunch of people argued with Jesus Christ. And we are also going to argue disputes. We're going to suffer disputes uh, as we proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Some are going to say, that is challenging my lifestyle and I want to hear that. Other religions are going to not want to hear that because we're saying Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. There are not many paths. There's one path. Many won't like that. But look at verse 10. They could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. That's exactly what Jesus tells them in Luke 21. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom with which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. Now listen, we will not receive wisdom if we are constantly quenching the spirit and then expecting for him to show up when it's convenient for us. You have spent six days quenching the spirit. On the seventh day, I'm not expecting for him to show up in a dispute for me. Because I've been ignoring him all week. I need to be in the presence of God. That's why the first point in this sermon had to come before the second one. I, don't, I can't suffer like Jesus if I don't look like Jesus. But we spend time with him. We hear his teaching. We understand his will. We spend time in prayer and meditation and discussion with others. We spend time being fed from the pulpit and fed from small groups. And and we learn to rely on the power of Jesus Christ and his grace and his mercy and his spirit. And then when disputes come, we just simply act in faith. The faith that we've been feeding all week long. We must also be ready to suffer false witnesses. Verse 11, then they secretly instigated men who said, we've heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up people and the elders and the scribes and they came upon him and seized him and they brought him before the council. They set up false witnesses who said, this man never ceases to speak words against the holy place and the law. We have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. So they, they take some of what he's saying and they just blow it out of proportion. They totally transform what he has been saying and say he's, he's, suffer, or he's saying blasphemous things. Let's get rid of him. Notice how Stephen's suffering is reminiscent of Jesus. They make him look like he's blaspheming. They get the crowds to turn on him. They brought him before the council. But get what Stephen does. He preaches the gospel to him. He doesn't slander him on Facebook. He doesn't, he doesn't gossip about him. He doesn't call them names. He just preaches the gospel to them. May our suffering be in such a way that the only thing that can be brought against us is false testimony. May our character look like Jesus. May our our words be gracious, not hateful. May our actions be merciful, not cruel. May our message be bold and true, but not bent on our own agenda. We can suffer 
false testimony, church, if we understand two things. Who we are in Christ, redeemed, loved, the, the bride of Jesus Christ. And if we have a clear conscience that we're faithfully following God's will. And it doesn't matter what's brought against us. And that leads us to the end, Acts. It's weird, you're probably thinking, I put Acts 7, 58 through 60. But all of this leads us to be ready to suffer in faith. Then they cast Stephen, verse 58, out of the city. They stoned him. And the witnesses, they laid down their garments at the feet of the young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Stephen, he not only spoke in faith as he proclaimed the word of God, but he died in faith. He died in faith of the resurrected Christ. He died in faith of the message that he too would be resurrected because Jesus Christ was resurrected. He was able to cry out in the midst of being stoned, a a punishment I couldn't imagine. He could cry out, Lord, receive my spirit. Quoting Psalm 31.5, in your hand I commit my spirit. You've redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God. Quoting with faith that he's redeemed, loved, soon to be resurrected. Quoting his Lord who quoted Psalm 31. Jesus from the cross calling out, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And saying that he breathed his last. Jesus was crucified knowing that the Father was faithful to his promise. He knew he could die because he knew he would be resurrected. Stephen's faith was was not anchored in his circumstances. He was being persecuted. He was being stoned to death. But his faith was, was anchored in the eternal, risen Son of God, Jesus Christ. He could die knowing that Jesus would receive his spirit very soon. Is your faith unshakable? Do you believe? I mean, do you really believe the promises of God? Or is your faith very circumstantial? Because if it's circumstantial, the moment the wind blows, it'll crumble. But if it's built on the foundation of Jesus Christ, though the waves and the wind may crash against it, it will never be moved. It's a firm foundation. Finally, we must be ready to suffer with an understanding of the blinding effects of sin on others. Look at verse 60. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he said this, he fell asleep. Church, I pray that our hearts are like Stephen's. I pray that we respond the way that he did in the understanding that sin blinds unbelievers. As he's being stoned, he can pray for his enemies. As Jesus is dying on the cross, bleeding and suffocating to death, he can cry out, Father, forgive them. They don't know what 
they're doing. Stephen desire, he dies with the desire on his heart that the sinner would come to know the Savior. In your suffering, are you praying for your enemy? Are you crying out, God, forgive them of their sin, break their hearts from their sin, turn them toward you? Or are we bent on slandering, looking down and hating them in our hearts? One is very reflective of Christ, one is definitely not. Church, we're never promised smooth sailing. I think I've probably said that many times in the last four and a half years I've been up here. We're not promised smooth sailing, we're not promised easy seas, we're promised suffering. (laughs) If you follow me, you will suffer, Jesus says. But we're also promised something much more significant than temporary suffering, an eternal weight of glory and salvation. If we're not suffering to look like Jesus, and if we're not suffering like Jesus, then maybe we're not following Jesus. I think too often we confuse the American dream with the kingdom of God, and we'll fight hard for our rights on earth, tooth and nail, but we will not lift a finger for the soul, the lost soul for the kingdom. I pray that our hearts start to look like Jesus Christ and our suffering is like Jesus Christ. And it's changing us more and more into Christ's likeness. Let's pray. Father, we we thank you for your word. It is sharper than a two-edged sword and, and sometimes it cuts deeply, Lord. And I thank you for that. I thank you that it doesn't just cut, but it also binds us up by your grace. You break the broken bones and you reset it so that it's correct again. Lord, I pray that you expose our hearts and where we fall short in these areas that you have shown us in Stephen's life and ultimately in your life, Jesus. You're the only one that perfected this. And you would turn us toward the cross so that we can remember who we are in you and remember your promise to transform us into your likeness. Father, I thank you for your word. I pray that you, your church would be more and more full of grace, full of the spirit, of good repute, full of love and mercy. God, we want to reflect Jesus to the world. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us at Hauser Community Church Online. Check back next week for the next unpacking of the Word of God. Please feel free to contact us with any questions you might have about the message or for pastor at area code 541-756-2591 or email us at pray at hauserchurch.org. Again, that's P-R-A-Y at H-A-U-S-E-R-C-H-U-R-C-H dot O-R-G. Our address is 69411 Wildwood Road, North Bend, Oregon, 97459. Remember, if you're seeking the truth, it will set you free. And that truth is Jesus Christ.